Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Bishop O'Connell DJO Nightly News podcast, produced by the Stock and Finance Club, O'Connell's premier extracurricular activity. Today we have our host, Diego Garcia, myself, and Mr. Bedhauser, along with some special guests, Brooke Tran, Ryan Adrian, and our mystery guest, William Kyes. Disclaimer. The opinions held in this podcast spoken by the guest are their own and do not represent the views of Bishop O'Connell or of the Stock and Finance Club as a whole. All right, so we are ready to begin with our first topic. Mr. Bedhauser, start us off. The first topic we're going to talk about today is the presidential primary in different states that happen on Tuesday. So we had primaries in Idaho, Utah and in Arizona. Western Tuesday. Western Tuesday. Big day. It could yeah. make or break candidates' campaigns, and we've seen that there's plenty of stuff happening that could lead to that happening eventually. Um, just this morning, uh, we saw Governor Bush endorsing Ted Cruz. That was came out of left field. I was not expecting that whatsoever. Your thoughts? I was pretty surprised to hear about that. I was considering that he would endorse John Kasich for president. To I was honest. I was a little surprised that, that yeah. he would even even think of endorsing Ted Cruz. But I think they're trying to get, trying to coalesce around a particular candidate. They're seeing that John Kasich can't necessarily obtain the number of delegates needed. So they're looking at a way to stop Donald Trump at this point, which I think is gonna be very difficult. Will, do you think we're gonna have a contested convention? Yes or no? No, I think that Trump's gonna get the nomination and that the Republican Party will manage to partially uh, rally around him, although there will be a few people that do not. I feel like it might be more than a few people who desert the party if we get a Trump nomination. Then again, this is coming from the perspective of someone who uh, is in a more liberal area, whereas in your more traditional conservative areas, you might see that they find a way to rally around Trump. Mr. Bedhauser? On the Democratic side, so if we look at the Democratic side, Mm -hmm. we see that Hillary won Arizona, but Bernie Sanders took Idaho and Utah, does that show any significance on the Bernie Sanders campaign and the type of voter that he is able to have vote for him? Even though he may not win the nomination necessarily, is Hillary Clinton going to have a hard time obtaining votes from some of those people that Bernie Sanders has had um, as, a, as a strong showing among? I think that a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters are young, impressionable adults, young adults and that they will just not have the same level of enthusiasm for a candidate like Hillary Clinton. That's not to say they're going to turn to the other side and vote for a Republican candidate, but there just won't be as high turnout as Hillary Clinton would hope for. Well, I think a lot of the Bernie supporters that are older, not just the young adults, they're the ones that are just tired of politics as usual, big money being involved. And so I feel like there could be even a shift from people that go to Bernie because they just like him because he's not taking money from these donors and might even shift to Trump because they might like his appeal of a, of a non-politician politician. Yes, I think that what we're seeing now is just a big resurgence of this feeling of just antipathy towards uh, insider candidates, uh, towards career politicians. And to be fair, Bernie Sanders is a career politician, but he still has that outsider status that some people find so attractive. In other news, we had the uh, terror strikes in Brussels, mm-hmm. Belgium, which hit uh, the airport and some of the metro stations there. We see that with Brussels, certainly it's, it's striking mm-hmm. from a s- symbolic perspective, striking at the heart of Europe with having the European Union and NATO 
headquartered there. Thoughts yes. on? Well, first of all, I think we should take a moment to say that our thoughts and prayers are with the Belgian people at this moment of need. Uh, but besides that, I th just uh, saw a notification on my phone a few hours ago that said that there is evidence that the terrorists were specifically targeting American uh, citizens in these attacks. I mean, we do know that they targeted an American uh, Airlines kiosk in the airport and a Starbucks, although you could make the claim that Starbucks is more of an international entity than just an American um, corporation at this time. But also, and I feel like this might be a sort of a stretch, but the metro station that was attacked was the metro station closest to the American embassy. But then again, it's also the one that's closest to the European Union. So, well, continuing on, um, some. Um, how do you feel about the Cuban visit by uh, President Barack Obama? Yes, yeah, so certainly that was um, a big thing that happened in the news where we saw uh, President Obama become the first president in 88 years to yes. visit uh, the the island uh, of Cuba, such a, a nation that's so close to the United States, being 90 miles off the coast of Key West and being um, yet so far away in terms of our relations with that country. I think that uh, this visit is indicative of a shift in um, not just American policy towards Cuba, but the power of Cuban Americans in our government. We've seen that the Miami Cuban American like political machine, it is a political machine down in Miami, um, that they have had control of US policy re regarding Cuba for the past 80 some years. And we're starting to see a slip now. More and more people are with the mindset that maybe we should open up the southern country, our neighbor down south. Um, also, uh, the fact that there are so many young Cubans, uh, Cuban Americans, who wish to see their grandparents still there uh, in Cuba, who wish to just be able to reintegrate with their culture. I think it'll be interesting to see from the business perspective what happens to American businesses mm -hmm. within uh, Cuba. Starwood Hotels announced that they were going to be building a hotel in Havana, and Google announced that they were going to have some uh, type of internet cafes that would be available for people to access the internet, so Cubans would be able to access the internet at a much higher speed than they're able to right now. And also, I heard that Carnival Cruise Lines is going to start um, having uh, trips and stopping uh, within Cuba. Yes, I, it's just opening up a huge market for all these entertainment and leisure uh, companies. I myself signed a petition to have United Airlines expand uh, flight from uh, Washington, Dulles to Havana. So it's exciting times. Um, we are going to talk about Merrick Garland's nomination to the Supreme Court. So. We have some pros and cons. What do you think, Mr. Badhauser? I think that it's going to be an uphill battle for President Obama to get uh, Mr. Garland confirmed for the Supreme Court in such a, uh, a uh, hostile political environment that we are in right now that I think it would be, it's gonna be advantageous for Republicans to block the nomination. And, I, and I, I don't really see anything happening until uh, we elect a new president. Mm. So just recently, uh, Governor John Kasich of Ohio, he announced that he would be open to the possibility of nominating uh, Mr. Garland to the Supreme Court, that he himself might have done that. 
and to be fair, Mr. Garland is would be considered a moderate on the court. Uh, not far left, not far right, pretty much in the middle. Not a particularly exciting candidate. Um, do you think that John Kasich is correct? Or do you think he's going to suffer politically from this decision to say that he would be willing to consider Mr. Garland? I heard his comments and then I saw later on in the day he ended up re retracting he what, he, what he had said. But I think that with the Supreme Court deciding so much about specifically social issues mm -hmm. that I think it's going to um, be a huge fight. It's going to be a huge part of the presidential election on where we see the future of the Supreme Court. So really this November we have all three branches up for election, even though we don't necessarily elect directly the Supreme Court justice. I really think that we have all three branches of government up for election this year. It's going to be a huge fight. It's going to be um, something that is going to mobilize uh, people to get out and vote on both sides of the aisle. Mm, absolutely. So there has been uh, some indications that there's beginning to be some chinks in the armor of the Republican blockade of nomination. Do you think that there is going to be a vote before November or no? I don't think that there'll be one before November. I think that there is just too much opposition. We're too polarized right now for a vote to take place. Mm -hmm. That's agreed. So an independent of the nomination process, do you think that Mr. Garland would be a good Supreme Court justice? I haven't read enough about uh, some of his prior opinions on the D.C. Circuit mm -hmm. yet to form an opinion. Well, that's certainly something that's been taken into consideration. A lot of um, analysts are saying that Mr. Garland has had no real opinions in the D.C. Circuit Court and that his lack of opinions on a lot of contentious issues allow him to be a more palatable candidate for, or not candidate, uh, nominee for the Republicans and for the Democrats. They don't, he's a wild card in that sense. Hasn't taken any extreme views in the past. Um, we do know um, he is a Harvard graduate, Harvard uh, undergrad and law school, valedictorian actually. He spends his weekends tutoring uh, elementary school students. And uh, in 1992, when was the Timothy McVeigh trial in Oklahoma City? Oklahoma City. Was that 92? 94. 94, okay. So he was the prosecutor on that case. So he has an illustrious record, but not filled with many uh, court decisions per se. Do you think that President Obama actually believed that he would be confirmed? I think that they're, that they're hoping that somehow Republicans will, specifically those who are in tough re-election races in the Senate, that some of the Republican senators would fold and be willing to have a hearing and ultimately uh, have an up or down vote on the nomination, but certainly the leadership of the Senate at this point has shown no indication that they'd be willing to do that. Speaking of the re-election campaigns of a number of senators and all of Congress as the legislative branch, do you think that the Republican nomination process, the primaries, are hurting the re-election campaigns of a number of Republican congressmen and legislators? I certainly think in the swing districts we could see some seats that that uh, change over. So in some of the purple states that um, that we, we have vulnerable Republicans up for re-election and that certainly those seats could go to the Democrats. I recently read an article in on the Hill, uh, in the Hill, uh, stating that Senator John McCain is facing the most contentious uh, re-election campaign of his career, which is surprising. He is an institution on the, in the Senate. so. 
Any thoughts on that? Do you think he's going to make it through? I think he. I think he'll end up making it through, and maybe closer than he would expect. Mm-hmm. But I, I think in the end that he will, even if it's just by a few points, he will squeak by. Yes, it's hard to imagine that there'll be too much split ticket voting come November. But I feel like a lot of Republican candidates are well, Republican uh, legislators. Uh, candidates are depending on that split ticket voting if they're hoping to get reelected. And perhaps we can see some people that just end up staying home too, some mm-hmm. Republican voters that just decide not to vote. So, our next topic of discussion and our final topic of discussion in this, our very first podcast, is going to be the legal battle that we are seeing between the company Apple and uh, the FBI regarding uh, iPhones. So, opinions. Well, I think I think that um, with the recent developments that we heard about, that perhaps the government can get into the iPhone without needing Apple, that um, could be a sign that we could see this whole lawsuit, particular lawsuit, drop. But certainly brings up questions about the future and future cases with, with what's going to happen. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I feel it's just a matter of time before we encounter an issue where it is. Do we want to sacrifice uh, our long-term security or our potential long-term security for an immediate uh, end, immediate goal? Uh, so how do you feel on this issue? Do you feel that we should side on the side of immediate safety and immediate security or long-term uh, privacy? I think it's something that uh, we need to take a serious look at, especially with the uh, what we talked about at the beginning with the attack in Belgium and certainly with um, kind of the heightened state of alert related to terrorism with the, uh, the growing um, organization of ISIS and with terrorist attacks um, going beyond just the Middle East but happening now across the world. It's something we, we need to take a strong look at. It is certainly a sobering uh, fact of life that we face now. Well, this has been an excellent conversation we've had today, and I'd like to thank all our guests, uh, Brooke Tran, Ryan Adrian, um, Mr. Bedhauser, and of course, our special mystery guest, Will Kais. Um, We will be back for you in just a couple weeks um, for a new roundtable of exciting issues to discuss, uh, stock-related and otherwise. Thank you very much for listening, and we hope you come back. Thank you. Thank you.